Good morning. Welcome to Sunday morning Palm Sunday. Would you please stand? Together we're going to lift up our voices as we sing all glory, laud, and honor. It is a Hosanna Palm Sunday song, but to the tune of Stand Up, Stand Up for Jesus. All glory, laud, and honor to the Redeemer King, to whom the lips of children make sweet Hosanna's ring. Thou art the King of Israel, of David's royal Son, who in the Lord's name comes, the King and blessed One. The company of angels are praising Thee on high, and mortal men and all things created may reply. The people of the Hebrews with thoughts before Thee went, our praise and prayer and anthems before Thee. Before you leave today, be sure and walk up and look. We're working on getting the platform changed, turned, changed around, and uh, lots and lots of man hours as multi builders did the platform here. And uh, a guy who has his children and grandchildren in our preschool kindergarten did the carpet. But we're still hoping by the this week to finish the whole project. It's been a few weeks coming, and lots and lots of volunteers, lots of help, lots of work as well as the contractors, but it's really coming together well, and uh, we're looking forward to seeing the finished product. Thank you for being in the Lord's house. Let's open up with a word of prayer. Father in heaven, we come before you, and we just ask that you would be with us at this time, for truly we've come to worship you, to lift you up, reflecting back on that day when you entered into Jerusalem. Palms were laid upon the streets, and the people called out Hosanna. Lord, as we come to reflect on that, to lift you up and exalt you, we ask that you would come and stir our hearts and souls, that we might be more conformed to your image. In Christ's name we pray, amen. Please be seated.
resurrection, and just days before his crucifixion, Jesus entered the holy city of Jerusalem. He did not enter that city like a king. There was no chariot, there was no mighty horse. He entered that city on a donkey. Outside the city, the crowds gathered around to see their king, and they laid their palm branches on the dusty road, and they shouted, Hosanna to the son of David! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest heaven. Hosanna simply means God save us. And that simple prayer echoes across time. 2,000 years ago, the Jerusalem crowds shouted Hosanna to their king on that dusty road. And 2,000 years later, wherever we are, we shout Hosanna, even still. Hosanna in the highest heaven. Hosanna in the lowest moments. Hosanna in the green pastures. Hosanna in the darkest valleys. Hosanna in the crowded cities. Hosanna in the open spaces. Hosanna in every church. Hosanna in every home. Hosanna in the victories. Hosanna in the failures. Hosanna in the beautiful beginnings and Hosanna in the bitter endings. Hosanna in the days of trial. Hosanna in the days of plenty. Hosanna in the days of sadness. Hosanna in the days of celebration. Hosanna in the morning and Hosanna in the evening. Hosanna in the sunshine and darkness. Hosanna in the years of waiting. Hosanna in the seasons of blessing. Hosanna all the time. Hosanna everywhere. Hosanna forever. Hosanna to the sun. Hosanna in the highest. history to Christ entering to Jerusalem and the people taking their palms and laying them in the street, their cloaks as well, and Jesus coming in upon that donkey and the people welcoming him in. We understand that this is a triumphal moment. Triumph in the hope that they have put in that Jesus Christ is the Messiah, the Messiah they had been looking for. They were looking for a Messiah who would come in and set them free from Rome, who would set up a kingdom upon earth. Yet at the same time, as much as they were looking for that, Christ was entering into Jerusalem, also 
with hope, hope for you and hope for me. Because he knew he was coming into Jerusalem, getting into that week that laid ahead that would ultimately pay for your sins and mine upon the cross. It is a big week. In fact, it's an interesting thing when you take your Bible and you read the Gospels. About two-thirds of your Gospels are before the entry into Jerusalem. About a third of your Gospels are after Christ enters into Jerusalem, getting ready for that crucifixion. When you come into Jerusalem, all of a sudden you find Christ turning over the tables in the temple. The money changers who had turned the temple into a den of thieves. You find him dealing with the, wed the observing the widow, putting her might in the offering, while those others who were pious stood back in their piety. You find the teaching of where Christ approached a fig tree and he found that it was barren and he cursed it and he taught us a lesson there. We find him confront the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the Pharisees and Sadducees trying to trick him and confront him. All of these things are going to transpire during that week. He's going to teach us about the destruction of Jerusalem in 70 AD. He's going to talk about his second coming and we're going to learn about that all in that week. It for sure is a week full, full of teaching, amazing truths, heartache, betrayal, ultimately sacrifice, and next week, resurrection. Last Sunday morning, I took you to Isaiah 53. And I told you that out of Isaiah 53, we were going to teach about the, the life of Christ, then the sacrifice of Christ, and the resurrection of Christ. And each for three weeks, we would look at that. And so I want you to go to Isaiah 53, and we are going to continue last week, this week, and next week in Isaiah 53. Last week, I took the very first part. It said, who hath believed our report? And to whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? For he shall grow up before him as a tender plant and as a root out of a dry ground. He hath no form nor comeliness. And when we shall see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. He's despised, rejected of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid as it were our faces from him. He was despised and we esteemed him not. We talked about that last week. That was the message last week about going all the way from his birth as the root of Jesse, that small plant that sprung up, born of a virgin, and his life of ministry coming up to this week. The entry of coming into Jerusalem, Palm Sunday, celebrating that entry. And as we come into the next section of verses here, we're going to look at verses 4 on down through about 9 in Isaiah 53. And, and here we see the truths that lie around that week of triumphal entry. Listen as I read down for you, starting with verse 4. Surely he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we did esteem him stricken. Smitten of God and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. And with his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We've turned every one to his own way. And the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed. He was afflicted. Yet he opened not his mouth. He is brought as a lamb to the slaughter and as a sheep before her shearers is dumb, so he openeth not his mouth. He was taken from the prison, from judgment, and who shall declare his generation? For he was cut off out of the land of the living. For the transgressions of my people was he stricken, and he made his grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death. Because he had done no violence, neither was any deceit in his mouth. 
This prophetic text talking about Jesus Christ. This prophetic text pointing to that week. That week that he would enter Jerusalem. And we would see the culmination of his ministry as he heads towards the cross. Next Sunday we celebrate the resurrection. But this week we recognize and understand the sacrifice. When you look at verses, verses 4 through 9 in the text that I just read to you, you find that he bore for us our griefs and our sorrows. Look at verse 4 there again. Surely he hath borne our griefs, carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken and smitten of God and afflicted. You and I in our lives, you and I that have received Christ as our Savior, you and I that are the children of God, you and I that have really embraced the simple principle of grace, that God so loved us that he died on the cross for us. Not that we would have to work to gain his attention, but he already loves us, cares for us, is willing to sacrifice for us in entirety. We come to him humbling ourselves because he is God. We are not. We can't earn our way to heaven. Jesus paid our way that we might by faith accept the way. When you look there at verse 4, it tells us he bore our griefs and our sorrows. Hebrews chapter 4 verse 15 says, For we have not a high priest which cannot be touched with the of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. That verse is about Jesus. It says, we have a high priest, our Lord Jesus Christ. He is one who understands our infirmities. He understands our griefs, our sorrows. He is the one who bore them. So next time, you lose a loved one. Next time your heart is broken. Next time you face the struggles of life. Understand and know. That Jesus Christ is our high priest. Who is touched by our infirmities. Who is moved by our griefs and our sorrows. So as we see Jesus Christ enter Jerusalem. As we see him ride upon that donkey. A humble animal, not a white horse showing his, his deity, but rather instead the humbleness of coming in on a donkey. We understand that he is bearing upon him you and my sorrows and griefs. It's interesting, the last part of verse 4 of Isaiah 53, it says, Yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. And that's such an interesting truth because prophetically, here we are hundreds and hundreds of years before Christ's birth, hundreds and hundreds of years before the crucifixion. But yet when we read this, we are all of a sudden reminded of those who mocked Christ even while he hung upon the cross. That's what the text says. It says, when that time of sacrifice would come, there they would esteem him stricken, smitten of God and afflicted. They mocked him and said, well, if you really are the son of God, then come down off of that cross. They mocked him, ridiculed him, derided him, beat him, drove the crown of thorns upon him. When Jesus entered Jerusalem and all these people are yelling, Hosanna, Hosanna, Jesus knew. This would be the exact same crowd who would be screaming, crucify him, crucify him, all within a week. He knew. He knew how confused people were and how confused people are. How weak we are, how fickle we are. One minute praising, another minute cursing. One minute serving, another minute not. In so many ways. He understood. And yet he was still willing 
willing to bear our griefs, willing to bear our sorrows. As you come down, Father, in the text, look with me at verse 5. But he was wounded for our transgressions. And I want you to catch that word, our. Because it's talking about everyone in this room. It's talking about everybody who lived before us. And everybody who will live after us. It says Jesus Christ, the Messiah, the Son of God, that man who's riding in on that donkey, who they're screaming Hosanna, the same one who just days later that they're screaming, screaming, crucify him, crucify him. It says he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of peace of our peace was upon him. And it is with his stripes, his sacrifice, his shedding of blood that we are healed. When we look at Jesus Christ entering Jerusalem, we understand that he had a purpose. It's an interesting thing when we look at the four gospels. As we've talked about in Sunday school and through the years of teaching and preaching, the first three Gospels are called what? The Synoptic Gospels. Let's all say it together. First three Gospels are what? Synoptic, Synoptic Gospels. Don't make me come down there. Because this is, this is all under construction. They warned me before I started this. They said, be careful, Pastor. There's all kinds of trip hazards up here. And when my daughter first had kids, I learned all about trip hazards, choke hazards, all that stuff. When we had kids, that was not a concern. They, they either lived or died, you made more. But this, it's so different today. But don't make me come down there. You've got to work with me this morning. First three Gospels are the what? Synoptic Gospels. Then you come to the Gospel of John. And John gives us a different perspective of the same life. He just tells us a lot of things that the others don't. And he doesn't tell us some of the things the others do. But when it comes to the triumphal entry into Jerusalem, all four Gospels tell us about it. All four Gospels help us to understand this week that is laying ahead. This sacrifice that Jesus knew he was coming to. One of the Gospels talks about Jesus saying, What can I say? Would I say, Father, remove this from me? He said, No. For this very purpose, I came. He knew exactly what laid ahead for him. He knew that he was going to be wounded for our transgressions. He came to be bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. He knew that he had to pay the price for us to be made at peace with God. And he was willing to do it. Because he was God in the flesh. Coming to pay the price for your sins and mine. As we come down, look with me at verse 6. Because it's a strong reminder. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. He laid upon Jesus Christ the iniquity of us all. So as he looks into Jerusalem. The scriptures teach us that he wept over Jerusalem. He knew what laid ahead. He knew the sins he would have to bear. Your sins, my sins, all humanity's sins. So you might sit at night and you might ponder your life and you might think to yourself, Oh, I don't think God could, could forgive me for that. But he paid for it on the cross. He paid for it on the cross. All he asks of you and asks of me is that we simply by faith give it over to him. 
And we say to him, yes, Lord, I understand. I, as a sheep, have gone astray. I'm a sinner. I am in need of a Savior. And I accept, Lord, the price you paid for me on Calvary. I accept you as my Savior. And he teaches us that whosoever would call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. When I sit down and I go over the scriptures with somebody that wants to know about salvation, and I am happy to do that with any of you at any time. As we go through those scriptures, I always stop and take a moment to make sure people understand that this is an emphatic promise. It's not a I hope so, or maybe so. It is that when you put your faith in Jesus Christ, when you put your faith and lay your sins at the foot of the cross, when you accept the price he paid for you, you are born again. That's what Christ called it. You might say, well, people make fun of that term. Ugh, listen, people make fun of marriage. They may, people make fun of everything. Even things of great, intense value. But it doesn't make them less real. Amen? Amen. You might be a Chevy guy and make fun of Fords. Doesn't make Fords go away. You might be a... What are the different kind of tractors? I have a John Deere. What, what do you have? Gene, what's your tractor? Kubota. You might be a Kubota fan, and you might say, I hate green. Well, you might, but it doesn't make my tractor run any worse. <laughs> Humanity self-deludes themselves. We think that we can choose reality by simply rejecting truth. Well, actually, you can't. Truth is truth. Let me see something in here. Let me grab some small, simple thing. I don't want to dent this new floor. I want to show you a principle. If I throw that up, it came down. Did you notice that? Now, if I deny it, does it change it? What if I say that's not reality? That's not my reality. That's not my reality. I reject the law of gravity. I don't believe it. I won't believe it. In fact, it offends me. It offends me that I don't have the power to throw that up and have it not come down. So because that offends me, I reject it. Does it change it? It does not change it. Somehow we've come to this place, and I don't even know how I got chasing this rabbit trail, but I'm going to come back real quick. Somehow we've come to this place where we think we can dictate truth. The truth is, Jesus died for your sins and mine. The truth is, he offers you eternal life. The truth is, as he entered Jerusalem, he knew what laid ahead of him. He knew about all that would transpire, ultimately ending on the cross. You and I, as we look at Isaiah 53, and we come down and we hear what laid ahead for him. The fact that he himself would bear our sins, that he would be wounded, bruised, chastised for us, because we are those sheep that have gone astray. He comes down to verse 7. He was oppressed. He was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He is brought as a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before his shearers is dumb. So he openeth not his mouth. When you read through those Gospels, the first three are the? We're getting there. First three are the synoptics. And then you have the Gospel of John. And all of them give us the triumphal entry. But each one gives us little pictures of what took place during that week. Tells us this event or that event or this event. 
But as we look at Isaiah 53, it kind of rises up certain things. It tells us Jesus Christ was oppressed. And I want you to, you know, the word oppression is an odd word. It's taken on all kinds of different meanings in our lifetime. For some of us who are a little older, we think back to what does oppression mean? And I think it's very different than some of you who are maybe still in school today. and You're learning different things. The word oppression means something different to you. But for Jesus Christ, when we look at this, it says he was oppressed. So I want you to step back for just a moment and remember who he is. He is God in the flesh. He left heaven above to take upon himself the form of a man. He came here for the sole purpose to pay for your sins and my sins. He is God. But people were not bowing down to him as God. Many people rejected him, mocked him, ridiculed him. Even in the streets, it tells us that uh, the priests were conspiring to kill him. He was oppressed. It comes down, it says, he was afflicted. When you come to the cross, and even before the cross, his arrest, his mock trial, his abuse at the hands of the Roman soldiers, all of that he himself was oppressed and afflicted. Yet he opened not his mouth. He is brought as a lamb to the slaughter. As a sheep before her shearers is dumb, so he openeth not his mouth. You don't find Christ cursing. In fact, when you find Christ on the cross, what's he say to God? God forgive them, for they know not what they do. That's so amazing. That's so incredible. And when Jesus was on the cross, he looked down and he saw his mom. I saw Todd walk in with his mom this morning. So good to see Mary. We've been praying for Mary because Mary had a, a stroke on vacation. Looking great, doing great. But Jesus upon the cross, he looks down and who does he see in the crowd? His mom. And he looks over to John, John the beloved. He says, John, I need you to take care of my mom. Isn't that amazing? He's bleeding out. He's struggling to breathe. And we see his care. His nurture. Because Christ came not to be ministered unto. But to minister. When we look at this text, Isaiah told them. He will come and be oppressed. He will come and be afflicted. Yet, as a sheep that goes to slaughter, he will hold his peace. He could have called down all the, the angels of heaven to defend him. He could have cursed all of humanity for crucifying him. But he came to pay the price for you and me. It tells us in verse 8, he was taken from prison, from judgment. Who shall declare his generation? He was cut off out of the land of the living for the transgression of my people was he stricken. So as you look at that verse, you find Isaiah hundreds of years before Jesus Christ reminding us of all these details that would transpire during that week. That Christ would literally be arrested by Roman soldiers. He would literally be taken Beaten, whipped, abused at the hands of the government. And then he would be brought to a mock, ridiculous trial. All of that would happen. It comes down and says, verse 9. And he made his grave with the wicked. And with the rich in his death. Because he hath done no violence. Neither was any deceit. This week, as we come into this week, as we triumphantly enter Jerusalem with Jesus Christ, we remember that it will end up with him in the grave. 
It will end up with his crucifixion, his sacrifice, his offering. But it will end up with him in the grave. But something happens. Something unimaginable. We're going to talk about it next week. Something so unexpected. The Roman government had prepared. They wanted to make sure that nobody could say this guy somehow disappeared, came out of the grave. Because rumors had been heard. They're going to try to make sure nobody can take this guy out of the tomb. But do you know next week we're going to be amazed. Because God is God. Not Rome. Rome's not God. Even though they made people worship Caesar. Caesar's not God. And they will all be amazed. Because the same Jesus who entered that Jerusalem. The same one that they cried Hosanna and laid the palms in the streets. The same Jesus that that week was confronted by the Pharisees and Sadducees and they tried to manipulate so that they could find words to accuse. The same Jesus that the crowd stood out there and said, crucify him, crucify him. And the Roman rulers stepped back and washed their hands and said, his blood is not on my hands. That same Jesus that would be betrayed by one of his twelve this week. The same Jesus that another of his 12 would curse and say, I don't know him. And are we in this room, are we so pure that there's never been a time when we have embarrassed our Savior by not standing up for him? Peter looked and caught Jesus' eye and he remembered. And he wept as he walked away. All that takes place this week. But next week. Next week we come to the most amazing event in human history. The most unexpected thing by all secularists. And we'll talk about it next week. And we get a hint of it in Isaiah 53. Hundreds and hundreds of years before it happened. As we get ready to go, and as you leave with your little palm cross, throughout this week, remember. Remember all that Jesus, this week, is doing for you. Amen? Amen. Right after church, we're going to do our little auction. Uh, John laid this here, I believe. Is this called a, a charcuterie board? Charcuterie. Whatever. Whatever. Yeah. I'm so bad at foreign languages. So this is this is either a charcuterie board or a cutting board. So they're out there. Uh, Phyllis Campbell, one of the ladies in our church, she makes these and she sells them through the Woodware Place and some other places. And so she donated some boards, uh, rolling pin, different things. These are also going to be part of the Iwana auction. Love for you to be a part and to stay. Uh, it's, again, 100% it, of all the things. It's a fun thing to do to help um, the Iwana boys and girls be a part of the Iwana Bible Club. Um, I'm going to close this in prayer. Brother John has a quick verse for us as we leave. So let's have a word of prayer. Lord, please be with us as we go forth. Help us, Lord, this week to meditate upon that final week leading up to and including your crucifixion, your burial. And next Sunday, we look forward to celebrating the miracle. I pray for your guidance, your direction. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. Let's lift up our voices just as we sing the chorus. Hosanna. Praise is rising. Hosanna. Hosanna. God who saves us, worthy of all our praises, Hosanna, Hosanna, come have your way among us, we welcome you here.
Jesus. Amen. We're dismissed this morning.